Today we get to continue this series, and I, I just want to know: Do you guys ever binge watch Netflix? Is that you know is that a thing now for most of y'all? Uh, you know, growing up for us, it's like you caught an episode here and an episode there. Um, but now it's like our kids know more about the shows we watched growing up than we did. Does that make sense? Because they watch it like the whole season, and they say and when we grew up, we watched like an episode here, and and, and but now they know like the whole storyline. And it's interesting because when you watch an entire season, uh, you see the storyline develop. You see kind of the arc of the story and you see the, the conflict and the resolution and you see all that happen. Uh, and for many people, though, when we read the Bible, we read it a story here, a story there, maybe a story over here. And, and so in essence, what happens is we get bits and pieces of the story, but we miss how they connect together. And so throughout this series, what we've been talking about is the Bible, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, it's a unified story that leads us to Jesus. And so everything is there for a reason. Everything is there. Uh, it, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing how it all ties together from beginning to end. How everything is cross-referenced way before the internet, before there's a way to... It's incredible to see how everything connects together. Um, and so... I love how it's this unified story. But in this unified story, there are different types of literature. There's different types of structure in the Bible. So it all cannot be read the same way. It's all inspired by God. But when we read it, we need to understand how the different parts, uh, how we interpret them correctly, how we use them, how we apply them, and make sure we don't take things out of context and apply them in ways that they were not meant to be applied. In 2 Timothy, we see this verse that you've probably heard before, but work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. Who correctly explains the word of truth. And so this, this verse is... It's really our motivation and why we do this, right? We want to be good workers. We want to be able to correctly explain what we read. We want to be able to understand what we read. There's nothing more frustrating than reading something and going, I have no idea what I just read. Have you all ever had that feeling before? Or you're reading a book and you read a page and you're like, I'm going to have to read that again. I'm going to have to read it again. And the cool thing is with the Bible is that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, helping us understand what we read and helping us apply it. So over time, as we read, as we study, we're able to pull out more and more understanding and meaning from what we read. And today, we're going to be talking about the books of the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, I read this in an article on the Gospel Coalition, and it said this, Some things are easier to read than others. When we open up a newspaper or a website or a novel, we normally know intuitively what's going on. We don't have to labor to understand what the author is trying to say or what literary devices he's using to communicate his message. But when we try to read the prophetic books of the Old Testament, we're often waist deep in a mix of unfamiliar genres with rules and conventions that we don't understand. Add in a few thousand years and a vast cultural difference, and it can be hard to know what to do with these books. As a result, many Christians are intimidated by the idea of reading them devotionally. 
And so today, what we're going to do is try to unlock this mystery of the Old Testament prophets. Because let's just be honest, when you get in there and you start reading them, there's some weird stuff in there, right? When you're reading all this prophetic language, you're reading all this symbolism, you're reading all the things that the prophets had to do, you're like, wait, how does this apply to me today? So, so I would say it this way. If you travel a lot, uh, if you've ever flown much, there are some states in our country that are known as flyover states. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, we call them flyover states. Why? Because you really don't want to drive through them because there's not much there. And so you typically just fly over them. Um, and, and so, like, I, I remember the first time I dr- we drove through Kansas, and I'm like, there's a cornfield. There's a cornfield. There's another cornfield. There's a corn. And you do that for, what, eight hours? Right? As you drive, or we drove through Missouri a couple of years ago, and we were like, man, there is a whole lot of nothing. And if you're from one of those states, I'm sorry, but that's just, you look around and you look around, and there's just not a lot there except cornfields, right? That's, that they're flyover states. And, and I think sometimes we view these Old Testament books as flyover books, right? We like reading the history. We like reading all about the, the story of the Israelites. And then we're like, okay, let's just jump ahead and get to the New Testament. Let's kind of, you know, when you read through Daniel and Isaiah and, and some of these long books, you're like, whoa, there's a lot in here that I don't understand. And let's just skip over it. And so that's really what we want to do today is help you understand it because these books are a key to our understanding of how God relates to his people. They're key for us to understand why we have the New Testament, the new covenant. And so what we do, we learn in these books that God is faithful to his promises, even when his people are not faithful to him. Um, And so we've got to have a, a clear understanding of what the prophet is and why the prophet speaks to his people and uh, there's this term I, I kept coming across in my study this week. It's that the prophets were covenant enforcers uh, and mediators. And, and I, I thought, man, that's kind of a, uh, you know, we kind of have a wrong idea about prophets sometimes. And we'll kind of jump in today and you, you'll, you'll get a better understanding of them. But they were covenant enforcers. I kind of like that term. Uh, these were people that made sure that God raised them up to make sure the people were following and, and, and you know, staying true to the covenant that they made with God. And so that's really, um, you know, that's kind of where we're going today. I'm going to give you a few things about the prophets. We're going to talk about how to read these prophets a little bit better. Uh, throughout this sermon series, though, we've been tapping into the Bible Project. Uh, They have a lot of videos, podcasts, all sorts of things to help us read and understand the Bible better. Um, And I said early on in this series, hey, we're going to try to share a few videos to help you. And so today I'm going to show another video about the prophets. And then after this, I'll jump in and explain it. So let's watch. Ezekiel, Obadiah, Habakkuk. What do these names have in common? Well, they're three of the 15 prophets that have their own books in the Bible. And if you've tried to read these books, odds are you got lost in their dense poetry and strange imagery. But these books are super important for understanding the overall biblical story. So let's talk about how to read the prophets. When I hear the word prophet, I think of a fortune teller, someone who predicts the future. That's what being a prophet means in many cultures, but not in the Bible. While the biblical prophets sometimes speak about the future, they're way more than fortune tellers. How should I think about them? Well, they were Israelites who had a radical encounter with God's presence. 
and then were commissioned to go and speak on God's behalf. Like a representative. Right. And the thing that they cared about the most is the mutual partnership that existed between God and the Israelites. Right, the partnership. God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt and invited them to become a nation of justice and generosity that would represent his character to the nations. And so this partnership required all Israelites to give their trust and allegiance to their God alone. In the Bible, this partnership's called the covenant. But the leaders, the priests, the kings led Israel astray and they broke the covenant. And so this is where the prophets came in, to remind Israel of their role in the partnership. And they did this in three ways. First, they were constantly accusing Israel for violating the terms of the covenant. The charges usually include idolatry, alliances with other nations and their gods, and allowing injustice towards the poor. Ah, so like covenant lawyers. Right. And so second, the prophets called the Israelites to repent, which means simply to turn around. They spoke of God's mercy to forgive them if they would just confess and change their ways. But Israel and its leaders didn't change. Things went from bad to worse. And so that brings us to the third way the prophets emphasized the covenant. They announced the consequences for breaking it, which they called the day of the Lord. Oh yeah, the apocalypse, visions of the end of the world. Well, sort of. The prophets were mostly interested in how God would bring his justice on Israel's corruption and on the violent nations around them. And while explaining these local events, they often used cosmic imagery. Cosmic imagery? Yeah, like Jeremiah. He described the exile of the Israelites to Babylon as the undoing of creation itself. The land dissolves into chaos and disorder, no light, no animals or people. Or Isaiah described the downfall of Babylon as the disintegration of the cosmos, stars falling from the sky, the sun going dark. For the prophets, when God acts in human history to bring justice, it's a day of the Lord. So the prophets aren't talking about the end of the world. Well, hold on. They're doing many things at once. The cosmic imagery shows how these important events of their day fit into the bigger story of God's mission to bring down every corrupt and violent nation once and for all. The prophets cared about the present and the future, and the cosmic imagery allowed them to talk about both at the same time. Got it. So no matter when you live, the day of the Lord's bad news if you're part of Babylon. But it's good news if you're waiting for God's kingdom. The day of the Lord pointed to the return of the exiles to Jerusalem. And once again, the prophets use cosmic poetry to describe it. They see a new Jerusalem, like a new Garden of Eden, with all humanity living at peace with each other and with the animals. And there's a new messianic king who restores God's kingdom in a renewed creation. Beautiful. So those are the three themes in the prophets. These prophets must have been very powerful, persuasive speakers. Well, some were, but others lived on the margins. They would often perform strange symbolic stunts in public to communicate their message. Like when Ezekiel lay in the dirt and built a model of Jerusalem being attacked by Babylon. Or when Isaiah walked around naked for three years as a symbol of the humiliation of exile. So did people pay attention to them? Not really. The stories in these books show how the prophets were a minority group mostly shunned by Israel's leaders. And their writings were a kind of resistance literature. Most people ignored them, that is, until their warnings came true in the Babylonian exile. And after that, people began to take their words seriously. Yes. The works of these earlier prophets were inherited by later unnamed prophets who studied these texts intensely. They're the ones who arranged the Hebrew scriptures as we know them, including the books of the prophets. Okay. And there's 15 books of the prophets. The big three are Isaiah, 
Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then there's a collection of 12 smaller prophetic works unified on a single scroll. And in each of these books, you'll read stories about the prophets and their poems and visions, all arranged to show the cosmic meaning of Israel's history. How God would turn their tragic story of failure and exile into a story of hope and restoration for all nations. And it's that twin message of prophetic warning and of hope that the prophets cared about so much. And it's a message that we still need to hear today. So what's neat about those videos is you can learn a lot in a short amount of time, right? I love that there's so much information packed in, in, into those videos. And if you're not watching them, man, I, I really encourage you to. There's a, they've got their own app called The Bible Project. They're on Right Now Media uh, as well. Uh, they're on YouTube. You can find them all over the place online. But uh, if you've read the read through the prophets in the Old Testament, and you've been confused, I'm hoping that that video helped you understand some of the weird stuff you read. And I'm very thankful, right, that God hasn't called me to do some of the stuff that he called them to do. And you guys probably are too. There's some weird stuff in there. And so uh, there's all this poetic language, there's imagery, there's the symbolic acts that God asked the prophets to do. Um, and so we have Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel sometime included in there, as well as though that's also apocalyptic literature that we'll be getting to later. And then there's the 12 minor prophets, the, the book of the 12, as they mentioned. So let's talk about a, a couple of points about these prophets, and then I'll share some tips on how we read them. Here's the first thing that I want to share. The prophet's main role was to be a spokesperson for God. That's their main role. It was not fortune-telling, as the video mentioned. It was simply to, to be a spokesperson to say, this is what God has shared, and this is what he has told me to tell you. And so they were commissioned to speak on God's behalf. And so they functioned right, like um, ambassadors from God who relayed important information to the people who needed to hear it. Uh, Gordon Fee said this in, the, in How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. He said, the prophet's message was not their own, but it was God's. As you read the prophetic books with some care, you will easily pick up that each prophet has his own unique style, his vocabulary, his emphases, his phrases, his idioms, his concerns. And so you see God speaking through humans, but it was still God's message. The prophets were like, they didn't write, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I, no, they're saying, this is what God has told me to tell you. Um, and so how do we know that they were speaking from God? How do we know that what we read was actually God's message? Well, God had prepared for his people for that by telling them how you can know whether to trust the prophets. And this is what he said in Deuteronomy 18. He said, but any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name, who speaks or who speaks in the name of another God must die. Okay, this is pretty severe stuff. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. And so God just simply says, here's a simple test. If they tell the truth, if what they say actually comes to pass, you know it was from God. If it doesn't, then you can just kind of toss it aside. 
It's another reason that we can have confidence in the Bible that we read today because these people that made predictions that didn't come true, their works got kind of thrown aside and were not incorporated into what we now know as the Bible, as the books of the Scripture. Um, And so if you think about this, I think one of the big difficulties we have is that we still, though, misunderstand the, the, the whole meaning of the word prophecy. Immediately, if you, you talk about prophecy, and even in some churches today, it's like a prophet is someone who just predicts the future about an individual. And, and that's really, that was a small part of their role, but it wasn't their whole role. So they did at times tell about the future, but often their role was much broader. In fact, it, less than 2% of the Old Testament prophecy was messianic. In other words, most of the prophecy they spoke was about here is about here's what's going to happen in the near term future. Now, some of it had that dual meaning, um, but you know, uh, less than like one percent of, of the prophecy concerns events that are still yet to come. So most of it has already been fulfilled. So we need to remember that as we read it, and so. One of the the things that we need to see is that their primary role was to speak for God to the people that were listening. So they they had this very immediate uh, role. The people that were listening, they would go to them and say, this is what God has said. You need to listen. This is how you've uh, disobeyed God. Here, you, you need to repent, and here are the consequences if you don't. And so that message uh, was over and over and over again. I want to give you an example from the book of Hosea. Uh, This is kind of a a very representative example of a type of prophecy that we see throughout Scripture. In in Hosea chapter 3, God sends Hosea to Israel. Uh, It was during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Uh, He's talking about they keep worshiping idols. They keep turning their back on him. Uh, The people have failed to to keep the covenant promises to God. And now this is what he tells Hosea to do. And so here you see uh, God asked Hosea to do something to demonstrate the message as well as communicate the message. The Lord said to me, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought, uh, bought her back for 15 pieces uh, of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince and without sacrifices. Uh, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and his goodness. So here is kind of an interesting story, right? God says, you need to go and marry a a prostitute, literally. And, And the reason for this is this is illustrative, right, of what Israel has done to me. Israel has committed adultery with God by turning their back on God and by following after other lovers, other gods. And so he said, this is a way you can demonstrate to the world around you, to those listening, that I'm serious about what I'm saying. And so this is, this is again, it's kind of that strange type of prophecy where God asked him to, to do something very abnormal, 
Uh, obviously, people are going to look at him and, and, and think crazy thoughts, but he's like, this is what I want you to communicate. You are my spokesperson. You are communicating my message and telling Israel that they have abandoned the Lord as their only God, and they are about to experience judgment because of it. And so God asked Hosea to do something about it, not only to tell them, but to demonstrate the way that God loved Israel. And so he had to do this in order to show just how bad the relationship between God and Israel had gotten. And so, uh, again, we see uh, all these types of imagery and, and, and demonstrations. And, and we see in verse 1 that Israel had looked to other gods and adopted the culture of their pagan nations that were all around them. And this kind of points us back again to the law, to the covenant. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, it says, When you enter the, Lord, the, the land of the Lord your, your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see this pattern emerge over and over and over again. The Israelites, they, they were influenced by their, their surrounding culture. Uh, again, it's a message we need to take heart today. That yet uh, we, we live in a culture that is very secular, that is very non-Christian. And are we allowing that culture to, to kind of infiltrate, to kind of change who we are? Or are we changing the culture with our message? We see this with the Old Testament over and over again, that they continue to turn their back on God and follow the world around them. So what the prophets did, they relayed God's message in order to grab the attention of the people and to call them back to repentance. And we see all sorts of crazy ways they did this. But again, they were grabbing their attention and showing them this is how you really need to follow God. Which brings us to the second role of the prophets. The prophets were focused on reminding people of the covenant. The video mentioned this. I've used that word several times. It's a word that we don't talk about a whole lot and we really should. Um, and so Gordon Fee said this. He said, God's covenant with Israel therefore contains not only regulations and statutes for them to keep, but describes the sort of sanctions that accompany the law, the sort of blessings his people will receive if they keep the law, and the sort of punishment that God will necessarily issue out if they do not. So God does not merely give Israel his law, but he enforces it. Now, and so this is where the prophets come in. God announced the enforcement, the positive or negative, of his law through them so that the events of blessing or cursing would be clearly understood by his people. And you've heard me use the term that blessings follow obedience. And so what the prophets did, they said, here is the blessing or here is the curse for your disobedience. Uh, the Bible Project has a lot of good videos about the covenant as well. And so... We don't talk a lot about covenants, but I want to take some time to kind of dig into it today and explain it a little bit because covenants are one of the most important themes of the Bible that help tie everything together. They're like the backbone of the Bible because from Genesis on, God enters into these agreements with his people. And covenants are more than a promise. They're almost like a legal contract, a legal relational contract. Um, and so we see the covenant with Noah. That God is not going to destroy his people anymore, ever again. You see the covenant with Abraham that he would be the father of all nations. See the covenant with Israel. 
If you follow my commands, these Ten Commandments, then I will bless you as you enter the land that I've given you. The covenant with David that his descendants would rule forever. And so even the Bible is split between the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, or the New Covenant. And so we have this very important distinction throughout the Bible. The Old Covenant refers to the covenant with Israel, the Mosaic Covenant. The Israelites were required to obey God and keep the law and return. Uh, And in return, He protected them. He blessed them. Again, going back to Deuteronomy, we'll learn a little bit about this covenant. In chapter 30, verse 15, we see a little bit about this old covenant. It says, Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to help His commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in His ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. And so understanding this Mosaic Covenant is foundational to understand the cycles of blessing and cursing that Israel uh, went through in the Old Testament. When they followed God, they experienced His blessing. When they turned their back on God, they experienced the consequences of their disobedience. And, And so we see this happen. We see the exile of Israel and Judah. We see, uh, and that even leads into the, 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 to the New Testament times when, when Jesus talked with the Pharisees and, and Paul talked about law and grace and the old covenant. We see all these themes come together over and over again. And so again, as the video talked about, there's, this, there's, there's a pattern here. Uh, the prophets, they accused Israel for violating the terms of the covenant. They called Israel to, con- to repentance, to confess, to change their ways. And then they announced the consequences for breaking the covenant. And so what's interesting, though, in the midst of all this, uh, some of the prophets were also pointing forward to a new covenant that was about to happen, that was coming in the future. And the new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity that he's going to forgive their sins and restore fellowship with those people who are separated from him. And so the new covenant was predicted while the old covenant was still in effect. Uh, And so we see this over and over again. In Jeremiah, we are pointed towards this future covenant. I love this passage in Jeremiah because it really tells us about Jesus. And again, if Scripture is a unified story that points us to Jesus, how do we see Jesus in the prophets? It's right here, Jeremiah 31. The day is coming, says the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the old one uh, I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, said the Lord. But this, new, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor they will need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sin. 
He's pointing them towards this Messiah, this Savior that's going to come. And the new covenant is going to be much different. It's not going to be written on tablets of stone. It's going to be written on our heart. He's going to know us in a personal way. And so if you get caught up in, in the Old Testament and all these laws and rules and regulations, this is where, where Jesus steps in and says, but it's, it all changes because of me. And, and so with that, I, I kind of want to give you five quick guidelines for reading the prophets um, and so uh, I found these in an article that was really good. Um, and I just want to share these really quickly. Uh, and, and then we'll kind of uh, wrap things up. So here are five guidelines to read the prophets. The first one is to read it in light of the rest of the Old Testament. So read it in light of the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, the prophets, uh, you can just click and it'll show up there. There we go. Yep. So there we go. Uh, the prophets are reminding the people of Israel about God's faithfulness and God's covenant. So they're not sharing like original thoughts. They're just saying this is, this is God's covenant. This is what he's already told us. You just need a reminder about it. And so many times in the prophets, it's just going back to what God has already said. So when we read it, we need to understand it's in light of the bigger story in Scripture. It go, takes us back to, uh, you know, the, the covenant promises that God has already made. And so sometimes, though, it's hard to make those connections on our own. And so don't be afraid to use commentaries or Bible dictionaries or cross-references uh, to help us make those connections. Because they're there, it just takes a little bit of study to get there. And so that's the first thing. The second thing, don't get lost in details. Uh, it's sometimes it, as you read through these prophets, you like there's a whole lot of details here. And I want to challenge you right um, to to um, to, to kind of dig a little deeper, but not get so lost in the details that you miss the message. Like there's times like Jeremiah talks about the almond branch and like you're reading that. Well, why is he talking about an almond branch? Well, the almond branch was the first flower to bloom in the spring. It was the first thing that bloomed. So the people reading that would know the season of the year when it happened. We don't know that because we don't live in that culture. We don't live in that context. But that's where a study guide can help you make sense of what you read. Does that, does that make sense, right? And, and so don't get lost in these, these details because the message is that God is coming. And so there's all sorts of things like that. The third thing is to look for the big things. Again, to kind of take a step back and really look um, at, at this, uh, uh, you know, the big picture of what's happening. So if you feel lost in all this confusing imagery, you look for, uh, okay, the, the, you know, the prophets are telling about the judgment that's going to happen. And then they're telling about the hope and the restoration that will happen. And, and if you step back, you're going to see those two themes over and over and over again throughout the prophets. The fourth thing is to ask big questions. You know, I think anytime we study the scripture, we've got to get in this investigative mode where we're like, okay, you know, who wrote this and what did God want from his people? What did they do uh, to, 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 to cause this message to be given to them? Uh, what did they what what did the author mean to the you know, what did this message mean to the people when they heard it? What promises does God make to his people? Uh, what does God reveal about his own character? 
Uh, how does God save people in this passage? All through, I mean, just start asking question after question and after question. And if you want to really go deeper in your study of the word, you start asking questions. You, you just start digging deeper. And, and, and the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. I'm telling you, it's so humbling to study the Bible because, you know, I think back to my 20s, and I thought I had it all figured out. And then I, as I grew, I started realizing, man, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. Does that make sense? It's just like there's, you just keep digging and digging. There you keep finding, oh, man, I didn't know how this tied to this, and I didn't know how. But what you do, it, you, you find those answers by, by asking the big questions. And the fifth and the final thing, you look for Jesus. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus and teaches us about him. It's interesting when Jesus, uh, uh, after the, you know, a a after um, the resurrection, the disciples were walking on the road to, to e Emmaus and Jesus appeared beside them and they didn't recognize him. And, and, and he said this in Luke chapter 24. He, he, this is kind of what opened their eyes. He said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of the Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And so what Jesus is saying, when I was with you, what I was doing was explaining how the law and the prophets all pointed towards me. They, they just were predicting the coming Messiah. And it's like when their eyes opened, it all clicked here. And they realized you are Jesus standing right here beside me. And all of a sudden, this makes sense. And I th th think for us, um, when we start understanding all of Scripture points to Jesus, it's going to start clicking. It's going to start making sense. The author of Hebrews details some of the differences uh, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It kind of explains how God spoke. It opens up, very first verse in Hebrews, chapter 1, that long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, though, in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. Uh, when He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down at the place of honor and at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. And I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when you get in the book of Hebrews, you start making a lot of these connections. Hebrews is a complicated book, but man, I love how it connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's that bridge that helps us understand it. Um, it talks about how the Old Covenant required daily sacrifices of animals as a reminder of the people's sin. But in Hebrews 10.4, it says it's not possible, though, that the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Saying this is what the old covenant did, but it didn't work. And then under the new covenant, in verse 10, it says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Anybody ask you, well, you say you're a Christian. The Bible talks about how we have to sacrifice animals. Well, this is why we don't, because Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. that He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
And so under the old covenant, only the high priest could enter the most holy place holy place where God's presence dwelt and that was only once a year but under the new covenant Jesus now we have direct access to him Hebrews 10 verse 21 and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water Hebrews 10, if you back up a little bit in verse 1, it just says the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. It was not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. And so all of this is pointing us to Jesus and why he came and why we need him and why we need salvation and why we need rescue. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it this way. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit, the spirit gives life. And so, again, I love how everything in the Bible points us back to Jesus. And when we understand why he came, we start understanding how we can have a relationship with him. And so I just want to challenge us today a little bit because it's not always easy to read the Bible. You know, if you if you've ever taken if you remember back to school, you get the textbook the first day of class, you open it up and you don't know the stuff in there. It takes time to learn it. You have to go through it day by day and and study, and it builds upon itself. And that's what the Bible does. As you learn it day by day, you start building upon what you already know. You start applying, and it starts making sense. And so I want to challenge you a little bit not to be overwhelmed when you read Scripture, but to use it as a challenge to go and understand even more. And I love how God uses people in special ways to get our attention. That's what the prophets did. They got the people's attention. And so I don't know who has gotten your attention over the years. I don't know who has grabbed your attention, but I hope they've pointed you to Jesus. I hope they just point you and say, this is, what, this is who Jesus is. This is why he came, and this is why you need to know him. I love that Jesus loves us so much. That he died for us. That he came to fulfill all these covenant promises that God has given us. And so today, that's just my question to you as I close up. Do you know Jesus? All the scripture is pointing us to him. And so do you know him? Do do, do you have a relationship with him? Uh, Have you just kind of collected a bunch of Bible stories? Or have you put the pieces together to know that the God who created you wants to have a relationship with you? The Bible says when we make him the Lord of our life, when we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. These are the promises God has made us. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus... He saves us and he gives us a new heart. He writes the laws on our hearts so we know what is right and what is wrong. We know what it means to follow after him. And then together we help each other learn to do that on a day-by-day basis. So that's my challenge to you today.
Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. If you're watching, I encourage you to pray as well. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word that just continues to point us to Jesus. Lord, I'm so thankful that you love us so much that you did send your son Jesus to die on our behalf, to be the once for all sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. And so, Lord, I pray that every person watching online, every person here in attendance would be able to confidently say, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. And if not, then right now, today would be the day that forever changes their life when they surrender, when they quit trying to be the Lord of their own life and instead trust you to be the Lord and Savior. So right now, as we pray, I want to give every person a chance to respond as every head is bowed. If this is your desire, would you just pray with me? If you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, this is your opportunity. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I'm thankful that he came, that he lived a perfect life. He lived a life without sin. That he came at a time uh, where the world was looking for hope, and he brought that hope. He came as a fulfillment of the covenant promises you made with your people. And those promises are extended to us today that all who believe will have everlasting life. Heavenly Father, I want to just make sure right now, I want to put my faith, my trust in Jesus to save me. So I confess my sin, ask Jesus to cleanse me from that sin, to forgive me. I, I believe that Jesus died on my behalf. I believe that he rose from the grave, and I believe that one day I will be with him for all of eternity. And if that's your prayer, God heard it, and God answered it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.